this prayer meeting is billed as United Prayer for Revival and for the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth. But I think going hand in hand with United Prayer and equally as important as United Prayer is the matter of the united witness of the church is so important. I'd like to deal with that today, the united witness of the church. And I would direct your attention to the gospel of John, John chapter 15, these upper room discourses of our savior. Uh, John is the one who gives us those, what a blessing they are. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Savior is talking about the comforter, the paraclete that would come alongside when he ascended to heaven, verse 26 of John 15. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. But I would especially direct your attention to verse 27. And ye, we Southerners in the U.S. would say, y'all, and uh, ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Jesus, of course, gave the Great Commission, and in several different places, in several different ways. And he said, ye shall be witnesses, he told his disciples, witnesses. But here he says, ye shall bear witness singular. Every believer is to be a witness for Christ. We can't opt out by saying, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. But the church collectively is to bear witness. And I long for the day at Friendship Baptist Church here in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I pastor and have been pastor for the last 21 years. I long for the day when if a new convert is asked, who led you to Christ? he or she would answer, it was no single person. It was the entire church. I I don't think that's just a utopian idea. I don't think that's just idealism. I think that's what God wants. And I was reminded of that recently when about a month ago, my wife and I had the privilege of hearing a lady call upon the Lord to save her. Uh, I don't think I'll ever forget it. When we talked with her before, she'd always give us some works-oriented answer when we asked what her hope of heaven was or what she would say if she stood before the Lord and he were to ask her, why should I let you into my heaven? But this time it was different. After coming more than three months to our church, she said, I would say, "Thank thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die as a sacrifice for my sin. And she called on the Lord. It was so sweet. It was so precious. It was so real. And she was so happy. Uh, If she thanked us once, she thanked us three times as she fairly flew out the door. I don't know if her feet touched the ground. We had done nothing. Anybody with one eye and half sense knowing the Roman road could have led her to Christ. It was just like one beggar telling another where to find bread. But it reminded me of how the Lord had used many, many people in our church. Before I go any further, maybe it'd be helpful to just kind of give a frame of reference using a courtroom scene. 
think of the unbelieving world as judge. Jesus gives the unbelieving world a right to judge in some cases. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another, he tells us. So the unbelieving world is the judge. Think of the Holy Spirit as the defense attorney. Think of Satan as the prosecution. He is the accuser of the brethren. But think of us collectively as believers being the star witness. And if we conceive of things that way, I think it'll be a a scriptural analogy. God used so many at our church to bring this dear lady to himself. And I think because of that, he gets all the glory. Sherry's neighbors have been faithful members for 25 years, and they invited her to the Messiah back before Christmas. And she heard inspired scripture, all of the lyrics of the Messiah are taken straight from the word of God, Handel's Messiah. So all the singers, all of the orchestra, all of the directors, I gave a gospel challenge in the middle. Then the, the ladies adult Bible fellowship class that my wife teaches, they started befriending her. They started praying for her in their zoom prayer meetings. They just finished with one a few moments ago. Likewise, men in our church started praying for her on our Zoom prayer meetings, Thursday and Saturday. She came to a seminar where people were encouraged to have a life objective and a testimony. And she raised her hand and she said, is everybody supposed to have one? (laughs) And the uh, leader graciously answered that question. And she said, I don't have one. She started reading her Bible. She started coming every Lord's Day. She started asking Bible questions to my wife and other ladies. And then she came to a social where she heard a new convert give his testimony, saved out of Roman Catholicism, and she'd been influenced by Catholicism. Then she asked if she could meet with us. And on that Wednesday, a month ago, she just fell like a ripe piece of fruit. Many had invested in her. And when many have invested in a soul and prayed for that soul and witnessed to that soul, how great is our collective joy? How great. This is not just isolated case, or shouldn't be. This is not just anecdotal. This is confirmation of the truth of Scripture. A few years ago, we had Dr. Sam Horn with us. Many of you know Dr. Horn. He was the executive vice president of Bob Jones University. But before that, he was a pastor and uh, at one time up in Milwaukee at the Brookside Baptist Church. At our church, he shared a a thrilling testimony. He, He talked about his wife, Beth, being diagnosed with cancer and how early on they had prayed together that God would use her cancer to advance the gospel. They became very close with Beth's surgeon, a man by the name of Dr. Chip Smith. He had come highly recommended. He was hard to get. He was not a believer, but he was so gracious and kind. But whenever Beth would mention spiritual things or the gospel, he would just shut down. After her surgery, Beth got the ladies at Brookside praying for the salvation of Dr. Chip Smith. It's amazing what happened. This is the gospel truth. I'm quoting directly from uh, from Dr. Sam Horn. 
He said church members at Brookside started getting sick and needing surgery. Within a 12-month period, no fewer than eight members were randomly assigned to Dr. Chip Smith. The day of surgery, a pastor would pray from the church in the pre-op, and invariably Dr. Smith would hear their prayers. Finally, even the executive pastor at Brookside had to have surgery. And of course, he got Chip Smith. On a particular morning of his surgery, Dr. Smith comes into pre-op and he sees the whole pastoral staff there because, I mean, they were there to show support for their colleague. And he just stops and looks at them and says, what is it with you people? I've seen more of the insides of your church than any church in town. And the executive pastor in the bed spoke up and said, well, Doc, we are all praying for you. We want to see you come to Christ. And of course, right away, he shut down again. No more dialogue. After the surgery, Dr. Smith gave the executive pastor specific instructions. He said, stay off your feet. I don't want to see you again. I'll have to redo this surgery. At that uh, encounter, the executive pastor invited him to their Christmas outreach. I don't know what kind of thing it was, but he promised to come, Dr. Smith. On the day of the Christmas outreach, the executive pastor was out in the parking lot waiting for Dr. Smith to show up, but he never he never came. Well, sure enough, the executive pastor did not stay off his feet. He had to have the surgery redone. And when he went for the pre-op, the doctor got all over, all over him for disobeying his orders. And it, the, Smith said, what in the world were you doing? To which the executive pastor answered, I was standing in the parking lot waiting for somebody to come to the Christmas service who never showed up. Oh, Dr. Smith pro- apologized profusely, and he said, I need to have lunch with you. He did, and at that lunch setting, he received Christ. And he was baptized at Brookside Baptist Church. Not long after that, he gave his testimony before 400 men who came to a, a wild game steak dinner, or wild game dinner outreach. There was a man named Don visiting who was not saved, but he heard the gospel. He did come to Christ. A few days later, he was found dead from a massive heart attack. Again, I'm saying this, this should not be an isolated kind of case. This is not just anecdotal evidence. This is what God wants for us, the united witness of the church. Do you remember those four friends of the paralytic who brought him to Jesus on a stretcher, they went to a lot of trouble to tear up the roof and lower their infirm friend in front of Jesus. What if just one of them had opted out or copped out? That would have thrown a monkey wrench in the whole scheme, wouldn't it? What did Jesus say? And I know devotionals in this setting have been given on that passage of scripture. I've heard one or two. Mark chapter two, verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, their collective faith. He said to the paralytic son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So I just challenge us and I hope it'll be an encouragement. Let's be united in our witness as well as in our prayers. God bless you.